Hello and welcome to this episode of the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and this week, Mr. Richie Kerwin. You're not quite at the Dr. Richie Kerwin yet, but you're almost there, I believe. Give me, give me a couple of months. Couple, a couple of months. We'll have to get you back on for the first introduction, uh, the doctor title. Um, so Richie's been on the podcast before. Uh, you guys have listened to him talk about multiple different topics before. But what we want to do today is talk about something that we touched on in the last episode. And that was the topic of cardiac rehab. Um, because what we talked about in the last episode, if you haven't listened, was primary prevention of cardiovascular disease and the role that exercise in particular plays in the prevention of cardiovascular disease and thus the promotion of longevity and quality of life long term. Um, and Richie has a, I guess, particular interest in this topic, you might say. He's certainly put in a lot of work over the last few years, probably longer than he'd like <laughs> into this topic. Um, so Richie, you've been on the podcast before. We don't need a a, bit, a big introduction or story of your life, but I, what I'd love to to get from you is some insight into how you became interested in this topic and and some of the details of your research, maybe. Yeah, sure. Um, thanks for having me on again. Um, so uh, when I started my PhD, um, the the whole thing that interested me about my PhD was that we wanted to look at the effects of diet and exercise, and specifically Mediterranean diets and high, high Mediterranean high protein diets and resistance exercise on um, cardiometabolic risk markers and the population that we were going to work in. And this was already pre-decided before I started my PhD was uh, cardiac rehab. And the reason for that is just because one of my supervisors is, is very, very much involved in cardiac rehab here in the UK. And um, so I got involved in it through that beforehand. I had really no knowledge of cardiac rehab at all. Um, and I, I would say that the vast majority of people, unless they have had some sort of a heart condition themselves, or they know somebody who, who has, will probably don't not even know it exists. Um, and it, it's, it's a bit of a shame because it, it's an incredible service, um, when it's provided and when it's provided adequately, and we will probably get into that, um, that can really, really help to reduce somebody's risk of having, uh, a heart condition or a heart, let's say a, a cardiac event in the future. Um, and just for anybody who's, who's not aware of, of what cardiac rehab actually is. So um, if somebody has a, a cardiac event and that can take on a, a lot of um, kind of different definitions, if somebody's uh, had a cardiac event or if somebody technically has, uh, is at high risk of a cardiac event, um, they will be referred to cardiac rehabilitation. And it's, a service that provides education around a lot of different uh, aspects of lifestyle. So for example, there's supposed to be educational components that talk about things like weight management, healthy eating, um, uh, smoking cessation. Um, and the big component of cardiac rehabilitation is exercise. And that's the actual component that they, they, they teach people about. So they bring people into classes, which can be based in a hospital. They might be based in, in local community centers or gyms. And the whole idea is to help improve various aspects of, of cardiac function um, over a very, very limited amount of time, but hopefully to prepare people for going into this a little bit long term. So uh, exercise becomes more of a habit for them. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Yeah. And I, I think it's I think it is interesting that exercise forms such a core part, because I think sometimes if you were to. Uh, especially if you were to go back 20, 30 years and you were to you know, ask someone on the street, you know, should someone exercise after having a heart attack or if they have heart disease, most people are probably lean towards no, because they'd be worried. They think that if I exercise, 
you know, well, I'm my heart rate's going to increase, you know, you can actually feel that yourself. Um, so I might feel palpitations and they think, well, that's putting stress on the heart, which is true. And that's then dangerous. Um, but as we talk about so often, that's if you view the human body as a system that I guess can't repair, can't heal and can't adapt, then fair enough. You've got a broken system. You don't want to stress it, but that's not really the way human physiology works, thankfully. So from from the outset, I suppose, one of the things to note here is that when we talk about cardiac rehab, um, and you can expand on this if you'd like, Richie, it's not just, you know, right, you've had an event, here's an exercise class, off you go. <laughs> there's, there's multiple different phases of that um, and levels of intervention. And as you say, the education, exercise, and other components like smoking cessation, diet, etc., but there is a graded component to that. It's not like someone just has the event and then starts lifting five by five at 80% one RM. There's clearly a graded component there and an assessment of tolerance, et cetera. So what do those different phases look like broadly if someone was to have an event? Um, okay, so in classic um, cardiac rehab, and, and there's talks about changing this at the moment, there, there are four phases. So phase one and two, I genuinely myself i don't know the difference between the two they seem to yeah. meld into each other so phase one and two is basically identification of somebody who needs to go into cardiac rehab so you've had a heart attack your you know all of your details are taken they'll be sent on to um the cardiac rehab clinic um uh with an assessment of what's gone wrong um and basically you'll be put in the pipeline to get referred to a cardiac rehab clinic somebody will talk to you about it um and um and then once you are deemed as being ready, uh, whatever that may be, so that, that there's multiple components of that, you go to your cardiac rehab class. And this can take like between the time of actually having an event and starting your first cardiac rehab class, this can be a couple of months for some people. It's not something that happens straight away. Um, and like you said, there is um, some a leftover component of fear for individuals who've had um, a cardiac event and that 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 continues to this day obviously people are much more aware of the benefits of cardiac rehab within the medical profession but you know there's still a little bit of carryover and you know we can talk about that when it comes to resistance exercise which is the the kind of area that i look at um, and kind of some of the pushback against that at the moment but then people get referred to their cardiac rehab phase three and cardiac rehab phase three is where everything actually happens um, and the thing with cardiac rehab is that it varies hugely between each cardiac rehab center. So um, if we talk about here in um, in Liverpool, where I'm based, there's there are multiple areas. There are multiple large hospitals around the city. Each hospital will de deal with a different cardiac rehab uh, center. And by center, I mean not necessarily an individual place. One center may have multiple locations around, um, but they have a different cardiac rehab team. And all of those individual teams will have different ways of carrying out cardiac rehab. Um, and I kind of found this out um, when I was doing the initial research for my PhD, because we wanted to find a cardiac rehab group center that we could work with. Um, and we wanted to find ones that had like, let's say, all of the best conditions that we thought were best conditions in our opinion to carry out our research. So for example, we found that some cardiac rehab centers, their phase three cardiac rehab, which is the the clinical phase. So these people are still patients um, and they, they're still considered to be, you know, um, heart disease patients. They haven't been fully discharged yet. Their, uh, their cardiac rehab might last only four weeks. Other centers might do six weeks. 
other centers might do eight weeks. And in general, you'll find that the, the, the majority of cardiac rehab centers will operate a program of phase three between four and eight weeks of length. And during that time, it's an introduction to exercise for most people. So people will come to cardiac rehab sessions. Um, again, how many during the week can vary greatly. For some places, it's one session a week. For some places, it's two. Um, you don't get a, a huge amount offering three or more, but it can depend on the place that you go to. And people will go. They'll have, um, if it's their first session, they'll have an exercise tolerance test just to see how they're doing. Um, there's usually going to be nurses present. There are going to be um, exercise physiologists present that are um, specifically trained in cardiac, uh, um, cardiac rehab. Um, they'll have initial che checks on blood pressure. They'll, well, they'll have blood pressure checks continuously. They'll have one at the start of their session. They'll have one at the end of their session. Um, they'll have an exercise stress test. And then they'll be told what exercises then they, they, that, that they can do. And then there's usually a group exercise component. And the first time I saw a cardiac rehab exercise session, and for anybody who's listening, I'm, I'm, I'm doing air quotes here. Um, it can look, again for, for, again, for the viewers, the listeners of this podcast, people who are used to exercising you know, quite intensely, it can look almost, uh, I'm gonna try to find a, a nice uh, adjective here. Um, it can look quite weak in terms of dosage of exercise yeah. because you will see older people um, who are just maybe walking around in circles, swinging their arms. Um, and that's because for these individuals, this is kind of as intense as the exercise physiologists would like them to go at the moment. But the idea is for them to progress. And depending on the center, you might have um, uh, you might have exercise equipment like treadmills, you might have rowers, you might have uh, ellipticals, um, uh, stationary bikes. You get people on and you put them at a cer certain intensity just to get them working for, and it can be for anything for 20 minutes up to 30 minutes to increase their heart rate, um, get them working, get a sweat going. Uh, you might have a small component of resistance exercise, again, within air quotes, um, where you have like little plastic, um, you know, pink weights or resistance, resistance bands. But when you think about it, for people who, um, who may never have exercised through, you know, um, may never have done any, let's say, um, classic form of exercise throughout their entire life, this is the first time exercising. So you do need to go in quite gently. But the whole idea is to build up that exercise capacity over time, over the four or six or eight weeks that somebody's in there um, to get them at, to a point where whenever they're performing physical activity, they're, they're not having any uh, turns, they're not having major dips in, in blood pressure, that they're capable of doing this. And hopefully they're capable of going on to phase four cardiac rehab. And phase four is considered lifetime community care. And that's where somebody is exercising hopefully for the rest of their life. And that's where my research comes in um, because we want to work on improving phase four at the moment. Um, and I've been talking for a long time, so I'll stop and hopefully we can direct this conversation a little bit better as well. Yeah, no, that's perfect. And and the phase three, um, I, when I was a, a final year physio student, one of my placements involved a, a phase three cardiac rehab program. And like you say, um, if you, if you were to walk in off the street as a personal trainer, you know, at the time I was, you know, big into my weight training, I was coaching clients, you can squat 140 kilos, etc. And you're, you're coming into this and you're seeing the pink dumbbells and you're seeing the arms flailing. But the important thing is that, and this is what I say to any client, regardless of their state of health, 
all we're trying to do with exercise is to make some sort of change to your physiology. And if we're trying to, let's say, improve cardiorespiratory function, what we want is that your heart rate is getting up to a certain level and you're able to maintain it for a certain amount of time. And whether that is you on a road bike, you know, pushing yourself hard uh, around the ring of Kerry, or whether it's an elderly person doing a brisk walk on a flat surface, the cardio respiratory events there could be the exact same because they're at a different level of function. So that's something that's really important when trying to understand exercise, particularly in the presence of, of illness. But I think in, in any, for any personal trainer, understanding exercise at that fundamental level is really helpful. And it's the same when it comes to the resistance training considerations, the pink dumbbell for an 80 year old post MI, it could be the same relative intensity as you know a 30 or 40 kilo dumbbell for you or I so it's really important to appreciate that and, and we that's why we use things like even in conventional personal training practice things like RPE or things like percentage of one rep max we're not just giving um straight out recommendations as to what weights you should lift we're saying we want that the weight should be prescribed in accordance with your current capacity and for people at a much lower capacity of course that weight is going to be lower and there is resist or there is resistance to the inclusion of resistance training. Um, and I experienced that during that time that I spent in a cardiac rehab program where when we began to introduce, cause we, we needed to make a change to the cardiac rehab program to make it better during the time that we were there, it was the goal of our placement. Um, and naturally I was like, yeah, lifting time, let's go. So, you know, we did some more, conventional barbell work again very low intensities you know like a kettlebell deadlift that type of thing um we did it at low intensities but even at that the you know some people were quite hesitant to do it some people loved it after a few weeks they were happy out doing it again at phase three we're talking a couple of months uh, past the event really and most of the people had been enrolled in the program for a while and we actually got some some uh feedback from higher up saying that this was maybe too much that people shouldn't be lifting weights, et cetera. Um, and we, we basically solved that by providing evidence showing here, here are the recommendations, here's the guidelines, et cetera. So that's just an anecdote from the real world to show that I suppose there is still resistance there. And the idea of bringing in resistance training is something that people struggle with. So what, what's, what's your perspective on that, Richie, in terms of, the utility of resistance training in terms of its benefit, but I suppose more importantly, as an entry point, the safety of resistance training for someone who's had some form of cardiac event. Yeah. So I think I'll give a couple of examples here. So when I started um, uh, setting up the research for this group, obviously we contact a lot of a lot of cardiac rehab centers. The one that we finally uh, decided to go with is um, it's Liverpool heart and chest hospital they've got a uh, center for our region known as Nosley here in Liverpool and I had a meeting with the entire um, community team um, that do all of the cardiac rehab work throughout all of their centers and so we we're having the meeting and I was explaining what we were doing with it and that we were going to be focusing on um, a resistance exercise and I obviously had some buy-in from some of the members of the, of the, the team but there were some individuals who their first question was um, uh, is this going to be okay? And are you saying that um, people are not going to be doing any of the aerobic 
exercises because you know like we've just said it's very very much uh, cardiac rehab is very much aerobically focused focus on aerobic exercise and they were a little bit concerned that we were kind of taking the importance away from the aerobic exercise and uh, moving it on to the um the the resistance exercise and obviously i had to, to explain to them this you know it's just literally for this trial because we want to we want to see the isolated benefits of resistance exercise in this group um and that you know ideally um people would move on to a, a combined component where they, they would be doing a combination of aerobic and resistance. Um, but even within that meeting as well, we had people wondering, like, is this going to be okay for them? How will we know? And what I had to do was I had to go and find individuals within um, that do cardiac rehab and that have, you know, some experience with working in resistance exercise. Uh, so I, there's a, an, uh, an organization here in the UK known as the BACPR, which is the British Association of Cardiac Prevention and Rehabilitation. And I found an, an individual who is within that organization. I'm not going to name names now, but he's considered a little bit of a, a maverick because he focuses very, very much on resistance exercise um, in people. And he he told me that basically when it comes to uh, cardiac rehabilitation and resistance exercise, they want to wrap patients in cotton wool. And it kind of goes back to if we think about 20 or 30 years ago in Ireland, if you mentioned exercise at all regarding somebody who's had a heart condition, people are saying, no, they're not able for it. But, you know, he, he would continuously go back to the same example of like, you know, if, if we talk about intra-abdominal pressure when somebody's doing a squat, for example, um, and the amount of uh, pressure that somebody generates. And he said, you probably generate more pressure when you sneeze than when you're doing, you know, a loaded squat, which is, is, is true depending on the, the squat that you're doing. Um, so we got him to, to, to help us create our resistance exercise program um they the teams felt confident with you know with his backing and with our um you know we again we showed them some of the research regarding resistance exercise but you could tell that there was a little bit of discomfort in the idea of moving away from aerobic training exclusively um, because this is what people are used to and it's understandable because people look at a lot of the outcomes that um have been used in in dealing with uh cardiac rehab in the past have all been aerobically based if we think about things like um vo2 max is really commonly used um uh, as an indicator of cardiorespiratory fitness um and then you know while resistance exercise can have a little benefit for that compared to aerobic exercise it doesn't so people were concerned for moving away but we want to to bring that in and talk about some of the other benefits um and those benefits in our opinion um are very very much focused on uh, body composition um and the reason we want to focus on body by the way stop me and jump in at any point if i'm talking to you um uh the reason we want to focus on body composition is because if you look at cardiac populations you'll see that there's a little bit of an obesity paradox and by obesity paradox i mean that in people who have a higher bmi and um very important that we we mention this bmi here people who have a higher bmi tend to have a greater survival rates within cardiac um, populations compared to people with much lower BMIs. And initially that does seem counterintuitive because people will assume, oh, if somebody's got a higher BMI, they're going to be, you know, they're, they're probably carrying more adipose tissue. That's probably not good from a heart health perspective. So why are they living a bit longer? And kind of subsequent studies looking at more um, at muscle mass and fat mass are actually showing that it's potentially these individuals who have a higher BMI also have a higher muscle mass and that muscle mass may be protective in cardiac 
conditions. Um, and if, if we get a little bit more specific, we can see that individuals who seem to have the lowest amount of muscle mass and the lowest amount of body fat as well, um, which, you know, like straight off the bat, you're going to say frail individuals seem to have the, the, the highest mortality rate within cardiac populations. And those individuals who have the highest levels of muscle mass combined with lower levels of body fat in, in cardiac populations um, seem to, to do a little bit better. So there seems to be potentially a protective effect of muscle. So what we wanted to see is that there's no there's been no research in cardiac rehab looking specifically <clears throat> at um, uh, increasing muscle to see what benefits that might have. And we want to see, can it have any uh, benefits on um, some cardiometabolic risk markers? So things like uh, blood lipids, um, uh, glycemic control, blood pressure. Um, so that's what we're doing in our research to, to see does uh, resistance exercise help from that angle? Because it is something that we need to know. And, and that's not us saying that it's going to be better than doing uh, aerobic exercise. And like, you know, even now I will say that, you know, a combination of both. And I like, you know, I, I think you'll agree a combination of yeah. resistance exercise and aerobic based exercise is going to be optimal for from a health perspective. Um, so that's what we're, we're doing at the moment. Yeah. And I mean, I suppose the interesting thing is that like I've, someone might say, well, yeah, fine. Resistance training helps with muscle mass or it helps with X, Y, and Z. That's, I suppose, specific to body composition, specific to weight training. But what about the heart itself? And you do see that in the tri in trials where there have been combinations of aerobic and resistance training, that even in some cardiac specific parameters like left ventricle function, for example, which is a, a fairly important um, marker of how well your heart is functioning, like they, it's improved to a greater extent in interventions that do include resistance training. So even at the level of the heart itself, rather than just these broader things like muscle mass, uh, function, et cetera, there are still very important adaptations. So I always like to bring it back to that because I don't like, it's one of the reasons I, I often try to avoid using the term cardio because it makes it sound like aerobic training is for the heart and resistance training is for the muscle, which is really just not the case. Resistance training has incredible cardiac benefits as well. Um, so yeah, resistance training, it's, it's something that I suppose many people would be maybe a bit more foreign to as well, which makes it a bit difficult in that I think if someone is doing aerobic training, maybe it's a brisk walk or a cycle at some point in their life, everyone has done that you know everyone has done some form of aerobic training but i suppose if you're in your 70s after a cardiac event and now you're trying to learn maybe resistance training movements that might seem like oh that's just for young people as well um have you found you know that type of resistance where people are just is it just the safety factor or is it the new activities or getting to gyms are they barriers as well uh, yeah, so it's it's definitely there's a combination of factors involved there. So another reason that we chose the the cardiac rehab center that we are working with now is because they do their cardiac rehab um, or their community cardiac rehab based out of a couple of community centers that have very very well equipped gyms in the Liverpool region. Not every cardiac rehab center has that. Some of them are hospital based, and in the hospital based centers, you you've got you know a few treadmills, a few bikes, um, and and that's pretty much it. It's very, very much aerobically focused, but we wanted to have the option of like giving people a real, you know, um, full body workout in the gym with, you know, some easy to use equipment. Um, and we had individuals who were like, they, they, 
they they said to me, I've never done anything like resistance exercise before, but they said, I'm willing to give it a try for this because um, the thing with, you know, having a heart condition or a heart attack um, or a heart scare is it's a scare and it kind of gets people to initiate change. Um, and I ha have found some individuals who are very, very much interested in in taking that change on. Now, our trial is is, is open label. So it's not randomized. So we're we're taking on people and asking them, which group would you want to go in? Um, because you will still find even within that people who've had a scare. Um, uh, I'll give you one example. I was trying to recruit people a couple of months ago and I had uh, one guy who I was speaking to face to face, like just one on one. And I asked him, would you be interested in doing this? You know, because like uh, you have to have somebody who's interested in the trial. And he said, no, I wouldn't want to do that resistance exercise stuff. And I said, well, would you want to do the um, our control group, which is basically, you know, just, you know, this, the standard cardiac rehab, which is you go in and um, uh, do some exercise a couple of times a week. And he looked at me in the eye and he said, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm just too fucking lazy. Um, and I, and I said, okay, I really, really appreciate the honesty. Um, so you, you have individuals who just, they don't want to make a change at all. And like, you know, th that's understandable, but with the people who were, you know, hearing my spiel on what we were doing, they were like, okay, I really want to do that resistance exercise stuff, you know, sign me up, but I've never done it before. And they had questions about is there going to be somebody there to, to keep an eye on me? Is there going to be somebody to teach me how to use these machines? And and luckily, we've got a really, really good team based out of these um, uh, these gyms where they've got people who've trained in cardiac rehab um, and they were willing to help us. They were willing to train people in do inductions and they're there when people need them to answer questions as well. So it, it's not been super easy for people because most of the people are coming in very, very naive to resistance exercise. Yeah. Um naive too but also curious and excited about giving it a try so that's been really really good as well um obviously we've got mixed results I've, I've i've you know i've had conversations during the week so i call up participants to see how they're doing and i had one lady saying she said I feel like it's starting to lose the novelty a little bit um but she said i'll keep going for the trial and i'm like thank you i really really appreciate that so yeah you you, you get mixed um mixed reactions and do we know longer term then as you transition from phase three to phase four like what what does that look like at the moment in terms of i suppose one the provision or guidance related to phase four in the community and then two the continuation or dropout rates what what's that like at the moment um so i won't give you any numbers on dropout rates uh oh, because yeah, you don't, i don't, don't have them to hand right now but um i will say uh again like cardiac rehab itself phase four cardiac rehab is hugely varied and it very, very much depends on what is there for them in the community. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, like I said, our centers based out of Nosley in Liverpool, I, I think they've got a very, very good system going. So they've got a, a, a program which is called activity for life. Um, and this is your phase four program. So people come into activity for life. Uh, they can sign up to it for um, as long as they like um and they get a slight discount and it comes in two forms so one is where they can come to uh cardiac rehab classes that are held at the gyms group classes and these can be you know um circuit training they can be like spinning things like that um and people will usually come about twice a week or they can um 
pay for like a, an additional fee they can pay for full access to the gyms and they can come into the gym whenever they like to do whatever they want but that's not particularly structured and that's kind of how we're taking people on because we give them the structure within that um that phase four and we tell them okay we want you exercising three days a week we want you doing these exercises etc but for for most people it can vary hugely as to what it is i think two days a week is quite common for people um to come in and it's very very much class based but then you've also got um a lot a lot of telehealth um uh interventions have come online now where people can do these things online and they they can do uh they can take part in a class you know via zoom or something like that if somebody has the the technical know-how to do that um which is really really useful for people who may be living in the countryside and don't have access to these uh services that might only be available in larger urban areas um so again it varies hugely as to what um, what people can can do, um, but we want to offer more structure to it, and that's what what our our intervention is kind of trying to do at the moment. Perfect. And tell me, what for your intervention at the moment? Then I think it's good for people to maybe get a feel for what we actually mean when we say resistance training. Like, can you give an example of what a training week might look like for someone? Yeah. Absolutely. So we wanted to keep it as simple as possible because like, like I said, a lot of people were naive to um, resistance training, never done it before. So we thought, okay, what can we do to keep this as simple for people um, as possible? So first, if we, if we start with the exercises, we decided to not use any free weight exercises or at least any complex compound free weight exercises. Um, so for example, instead of doing a free weight squat, we'll use a Smith machine squat. I know, God forbid. Um, again, for uh, instead of doing a free weight deadlift, we used um, deadlifts within the Smith machine again. Um, things like leg press, um, a chest press machine, shoulder press machine. Um, and what we wanted to do was make every exercise session a full body workout. So there will be um, a, a legs component and there will be a, uh, an upper body component as well. And that upper body component will include a push and pull movement. And then the legs movement will include a kind of a hip dominant movement um, and a quad dominant movement. Okay. So we want to get as much of the muscular musculature involved as possible. Um, so all of our exercise sessions are composed of six exercises. Um, and then we have two, we have an AB style program. So basically, you, you've only got two different sets of exercises that people alternate every week. Um, and we have people doing three uh, sessions in the gym a week. So maybe A, B, A, B, A, B, A, B. And the reason for that, again, is to keep things as simple as possible for people who have never done this before. Um, and when they go into their session, they, they pick up a, a little um, piece of paper and they just fill in their details as they go along. So for example, the weight that they're using, the amount of reps that they do on each set and the amount of sets that they perform. And for this, again, uh, to keep it simple, we said we'll start off um, for the first week with just doing uh, two sets of eight to 12. And then we said, once you can do, um, once you do that next week, move up to three sets. And then the following week, move up to four and then stick with four sets all the way through. And we explained um, how the progression is going to work to them as well. And we said, so once you can do a certain weight for 12 reps for all four of your sets, increase the weight. And we have to reassure them that your amount, the amount of reps that you're going to be able to perform, it's going to drop, but that's okay. You'll build up over time. And eventually once you're feeling stronger and you're, you're capable of doing all 12 reps, 
we increase the weight again. So the, there's very, very much a focus on um, progression within the weights because we want to challenge people as much, much as possible to see if we can stimulate that muscle growth. Um, I don't know if that's enough of an explanation. No, that's, that's perfect. Um, and then just as, as, as you get out of that kind of, you know, formal gym setting and people are, you know, obviously this is different to your intervention, but when people get to the home environment, then at the moment in that system, for example, in Liverpool, as they get to phase four and they're more so, more so working in the community, are there programs that people are given to take to the gym themselves are there home programs what does that look like um for standard cardiac rehab yeah just just as a very general question like do you know what kind of systems work like in terms of when someone's done with the formal um program itself so in terms of phase four the it's all um, group classes. In terms of if somebody doesn't want to go to a gym and they want to do it at home, I don't know what they actually receive. But um, if you can kind of imagine what we were talking about earlier regarding um, kind of the, the low intensity of cardiac uh, rehab, mm-hmm. a lot of people will have will be given programs, something similar to that. So it's programs that are just designed to get them moving, get them moving various parts of the body, elevating their heart rate for a minimum amount of time. Um, to help them through the classes. Not everybody does that. And like, there are some people who take the initiative to go a little bit harder um, and, and kind of do their own thing. So some people have actually, will, will actually buy equipment. Some people will, will, will use rowers at home, for example. Some people will use ellipticals at home, um, but it varies enormously. And mm. again, this is one of the major issues with cardiac rehab is it is, it is not standardized and it is based very, very much on what each center wants to provide to you know it's it's members yeah yeah and that that's that's kind of what i what i'm getting at is that there seems to be like huge variation in terms of what what it looks like out the other end for people and even i suppose on the inclusion side as well like if you look at at different countries i've I've read some kind of reviews on like what's accessible in different uh, european countries at least and it seems like even like the type of condition that you have initially, it varies, um, varies by inclusion criteria in particular countries, but then the types of facilities are obviously massively variable then. And even like, is it, are the services publicly or privately funded, et cetera? Um, I, to my knowledge, I, I presume it's the same in the UK, Ireland and the UK, it's cardiac re- rehab programs will be mostly publicly funded at the moment as in by virtue of being an inpatient people are referred to the programs is that right exactly yeah and are there are there any private companies that run cardiac rehab do you know um so the the individual who i was telling you about uh, earlier who did our cardiac rehab um resistance programming um the the maverick he does private but it's it's not exactly com- it's not a company based so there are some individuals who do it private privately but they're obviously um certified through the bacpr to do so okay yeah because what i've been thinking is that you know i suppose with with so many people having events and not even just events but even having something like well you might call it an event but like stable angina for example someone gets exercise related symptoms in their heart they might get intermittent claudication in the legs like people have they're at the point where they have symptoms of cardiovascular disease like that's a very large portion of the population there's huge amounts of people that could benefit from intervention but having just publicly funded programs and that those types of facilities are probably not that realistic in the hse to the extent that you might want it you know so what i'm always thinking is 
like it's just a problem at the moment because of lack of standardization but i think like the role of personal trainers and strength conditioning professionals longer term the ideal from my perspective would be from that kind of phase four and beyond in the community that those individuals would have some sort of network like let's say you you're certified to provide cardiac rehab you have a gym you and it's maybe a specific small group class or you you work with individuals who are on that cardiac rehab spectrum like that's my kind of idealistic vision of the future of personal training but do, do you do you have a similar vision what do, do you think the personal trainers could in the future play a role here yeah so we we had um had a conversation this with the uh with our research team last week and um somebody asked um how many people that are referred to cardiac rehab um, are referred based on potential risk or being at elevated risk because technically that is what cardiac rehab is about it's about um you can you get referred by having an event or being at elevated risk but in reality there are very very few individuals that are at elevated risk that are referred it's it's almost everybody has had some sort sort of an event and I, I think we are very, very much missing a trick here. Um, like, and, and yourself and myself and everybody else will know that prevention is better than cure. So we want to be talking about like getting people involved in exercise um, and, and, you know, healthy eating, obviously, you know, throughout their life, as opposed to, you know, you're, you're at a point now where like, you know, you could be at risk of having an event. It's, it's, I don't want to say it's, it's gone too far at that point, but um, you know, it's, it's harder to deal with, but I do think that there is potential for, you know, referring on these individuals who have a high risk to get them into some sort of a program where they can start taking care of exercise and potentially hopefully reducing their risk. And then, you know, that, that is the whole primary prevention as opposed to the secondary prevention that the BACPR mm-hmm. deals with at the moment, despite the fact that they have prevention written in their, um, uh, in, in their name and their title. Um, it's, it's really important. The, the thing I will say about it is in cardiac rehab like i mentioned you have a lot of buy-in for people because they've had an event yeah um whereas in a population that is otherwise healthy and they've been told that you've got um these markers for uh, a certain condition and you know you're at a higher risk of something it it, it doesn't uh, incite a lot of buy-in from them uh, which is a terrible thing to say um I'd like to give another example of it. Um, I'm, I'm working with a, another group here in Liverpool. We're doing some research in, in NAFLD, so non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Um, and they did a little bit of research uh, prior to, to me starting with them. And it was about, uh, they offered a lifestyle intervention to individuals who had early stage NAFLD. And like, as you know yourself, with with NAFLD, the only way it can be diagnosed is like uh, by a combination of you know liver markers and then you can you can do things like MRI or you can you know there's a couple of other functional tests that you can do to to check um uh you know liver fibrosis and they they will have no other markers now these these people will probably not be the, the in the healthiest of condition they're probably you know potentially a, a, a little bit overweight they might may, might be suffering from um slight dys- dyslipidemia they might have um you know slight issues with with glucose tolerance but they're not so much the stage where they need to be medicated for any of these. They probably don't exercise a huge amount, but if you tell them that, you know, Oh yeah, you've got NAFLD, which is not a very, very well-known condition anyway. Um, and you know, you're at a little bit of risk of something which is as serious as like liver cirrhosis or steatosis or something like that. Out of this population of, I think it was 150 people who were offered this lifestyle intervention, 
10% decided to take it up. Um, so, and this was a free intervention. We're saying, we're going to provide you with exercise. We're going to provide you with dietary guidance. Would you like to, to get on board? 10% of people said, like 15 people said, yeah, we'd like, we'd like to do that because they don't consider it serious enough because it's just at risk. They haven't had some sort of an event. And the same thing happens in cardiac rehab. So if you're trying to encourage people to exercise and eat well because they're at risk, I think if they haven't been focused on that up until now, um, and they haven't had an acute event like an MI, God forbid, um, it doesn't seem to be enough to motivate them to 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 make those changes. Um, I, I I don't know if you if you have anything to to say to that, but it, like uh, I think it's it's relatively common in in medical care. Yeah, I think unfortunately, like that that conceptualization that we have of longer term risk is it's not something that weighs heavily on our psychology. Like we, it's so abstract, particularly if you're talking about like NAFLs there, like you're, you're telling me I have fatty deposition in my liver and that's going to increase my risk. Like even that, like that's very abstract to people, even things that are maybe more familiar to people would be my blood pressure is high. My cholesterol is high. I have diabetes or I have prediabetes, et cetera. Even at that still getting people to, adopt exercise interventions and dietary changes incredibly difficult because again most often people are asymptomatic and i see this even in people you know in their 20s who are into fitness they'll have an elevated maybe a slight elevation in their blood pressure or they'll have an elevation in their um ldl for example and they'll say ah sure it's fine i have everything else well you know I, everything else is good sure i'll be fine but you've got atherosclerosis there that's brewing for the next few decades that will eventually catch up with you. But because it's so distant, because it's so abstract, because there hasn't been that inciting event, it's incredibly difficult to get people to, you know, take, take it up, as you said. So I suppose the ideal, you know, if we, if we could control everyone would be that everyone is on an exercise program from when they're a child and everyone has perfect nutrition, but sure, that's not realistic at all. And um, that's just not the way things work. So yes, Prevention is better than cure, but I, I do understand why secondary prevention is currently uh, the main focus of cardiac rehab programs because, well, you're going to get better uptake. And of course, it is the highest yield in terms of, you know, preventing an event that's going to be coming very soon. But long term, you want to catch the disease processes very early, early on, particularly with atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease and uh yeah, we if if everything could be an ideal world, that'd be great. But it's it's not, unfortunately. Yeah, you can't control people yet. Yeah, yet. <laughs> Wait until we have a, a health dictatorship. Um, Bring it on. Is, is there is is there anything else that you feel that is important for people to be aware of? I'm assuming that personal trainers are listening to this podcast. Maybe people have sent it to family members who've maybe you know, had an event or they're at elevated risk, et cetera. Um, anything else that you'd like to add on the cardiac rehab front? Yeah. So it's one thing, one thing we haven't kind of spoken about is quality of life. And I, and I think that's, that's a huge aspect that um, we, we need to kind of to talk about with, with exercise. Uh, so a lot of people don't realize that, you know, some people's aversion to exercise is because they're physically not very capable of performing it. And that can often be due, due to um, skeletal muscle deficiencies. They just don't have the musculature to, to allow them to do that. But helping to build on that allows people to move 
more easily. Um, and with with the intervention that we're doing at the moment, so we we, we do a quality of uh, quality of life survey at the end of it as well. Just ask people how a you know different aspects of their life have been affected, and then we we do some qualitative work on the end of it as well, where we ask them how has has life been different while you've been doing that. And from our um, resistance exercise group, the changes have been really really impressive. Like people just talk about how life is a little bit easier for them and like it can be things as simple as oh carrying the groceries for me it's like i so just to give an example uh we supply our our participants with um ready-made drinks of uh protein so like protein shakes in bottles um and they come in like slabs of protein um and they're they're pretty heavy you know uh and i uh one of the the ladies who was working with us she came in for her end end visit and she told us that you know she was bringing out a couple of slabs to her car um and she said that she had not she had no trouble doing it and she said previously she wouldn't have even attempted to do it before um and that was because like she'd been doing the resistance exercise for so long she felt more comfortable doing things she felt more confident doing things um and she felt she was genuinely physically more capable of doing these physical activities um she said it she feels it's like some of them said they it, it's improved their posture um it's improved how they they feel about their bodies and how they look in clothes like a, another lady came up and said she bought a top that showed off her shoulders for the first time ever and she said she never did that because she always hated her arms and she said she liked it now because she had arms to show off Brilliant. which I, I i thought was sort of like that that's not something that you're going to put down as a primary endpoint for a, a research study but that's a nice endpoint for some people to say, I feel com- more confident in clothes. You know, um, I, I had another participant um, and they, they, uh, this is, they weren't supposed to do this, but uh, they decided to send me along some photographs um, from uh, of their legs, basically um, flexing. And it's like, didn't have muscles there before. And I was like, all right, fair play to you, mate. Good nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like those improvements in quality of life are huge as well. Because we're talking about an older population and quality of life is everything. You know, it, like, what good is it if, if we say, okay, you know, your um, left ventricular function is, is yeah. better now, or your flow mediated dilation is better, or your cholesterol is better if somebody, you know, can't get out of bed in the morning or can't go down to play with their kids or, or do the groceries. But we're seeing improvements in life. People are feeling happier with this program. And and, and that for me is, is huge as well. And I think that's another, like, you you know yourself like resistance exercise helps with these things it helps with confidence it helps with our ability to to tackle life it makes life a little bit easier and if we can do this for a population where life is suddenly harder because of a cardiac event that's that's hugely important as well 100 percent. and i think you know as much as it's kind of funny to to laugh at the idea of oh i can show off my arms now it is really important point because what we talked about a minute ago was the idea of things like cholesterol and blood pressure being so abstract, but how you feel in clothes is very, very real. And in your mind every day, like that's something that's, it's very close to home. And very often as personal trainers or, you know, people who are into the science of health and fitness, we get to a point where we kind of forget what it was like to first start exercising. We forget what kept us going in those first 12 months, let's say. And we'll say things like, Oh, it's not about how you look. It's about your long-term health, et cetera. But none of us thought that on our first day in the gym. Like most of us, we started the gym and we're like, yeah, I want to get arms, you know, I want to grow my arms or I want to, you know, be able to see my abs or whatever it happens to be. Like a lot of people, a lot of personal trainers, even the 
the evidence-based people, we all try to be on our high horse. A lot of us got in out of a position of vanity to some extent, like you wanted to look better in the gym. That's totally fine. And you have to remember that when people, even in a clinical population, people get into the gym, they feel a bit better in their clothes. They feel a bit more confident. That's not something that's a primary outcome, but it's really actually quite powerful from an adherence perspective. Cause you're like, you know what? I actually feel good. I might come back again. I might keep doing that. And you begin to accumulate these health benefits as a byproduct. And over time, as it's integrated into your life, maybe now you focus more on those health outcomes and it's just so normal for you now, but the initial kind of potentiating factors might be a bit shallow, if you will, you know, I feel good. I look good. You know, that's, that's what matters to me in the moment. And that's fine. I like to remind people that that is totally fine because I even have clients sometimes that will shy away from telling me certain things. Like, um, I know this mean, I know this sounds like really shallow, but I put on a shirt the other day and I just felt, I felt great. It looked so good. That's totally fine. Like you can admit that you can be okay with that. All of us have been there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, like, you know, people say it's shallow. Um, I don't know how much, like, you know, it, it, it's a powerful motivator I agree. Um, and, it, and it works. And like, you know, I, especially if, you know, somebody who's in their sixties is saying that to me, I'm like, brilliant. So what you're saying is the way we get better buy-in and cardiac rehab is like, we get a picture of 65 year old lady with her like vest, she's gardening and she's flexing. That's, that's, that's the yeah. way. Let's well, have you have you seen some of the other like you know common photographs that are used for talking about resistance exercise in older people? Um, like <laughs> yeah. like this, I, I I had a, I did an article for um I'll call it, it's a, a website called The Conversation, um, yeah. and they just talk about like recent research and stuff like that. And I remember the picture that they used, and it was just like a bunch of like really much older people like yeah. in the gym, and they were like lifting these little resistance bands, and it, <laughs> yeah. it's just like that's that's not what people want to see they want to see people doing like really really badass stuff like you know like yeah. in a you know doing a, a bench press or something like that or like you know squatting and like there are pictures of that of women around why isn't why yeah. aren't they more common you know like that's what people want to see and that is motivating whereas if you see a, bu- a bunch of people in like a, a group circuit class it's like uh that's not particularly encouraging to me yeah and it's always the oldest people that they choose as well <laughs> <It's> like, <Yeah. laughs> the lightest of weights um yeah we we reject theraband culture around here so <laughs> let's get rid of that um anyway i think that's i think that's probably most of what we wanted to cover in terms of cardiac rehab like obviously this isn't supposed to be a clinical podcast where you're going away and now applying this with patients. Instead, what we want you to get out of this is the idea that if you've got a family member or maybe it's yourself and you've got hypertension or you've been told you're at elevated cardiovascular risk or you've had a previous event, that resistance training and exercise generally, as I suppose the first point, is both safe and effective. There are programs available. Maybe you weren't given any information about them have a look, speak to your GP, speak to maybe your physio or your cardiologist or whoever it is you're in contact with, see what's accessible to you. And I think that, uh, yeah, you'll probably be better for it. Absolutely. Uh, and one thing on that is like for, for any, you know, PTs listening to this, and if this kind of is an area that you think you would like to get involved in, you know, it is something you can get involved in. Um, uh, I'm not sure the name of the governing body in Ireland, but for example, if you're in the UK, like the BACPR, you can get in touch with them. You can find about, out about certifications that they run um, so that you can get certified to help provide this kind of care for people. So like you can offer classes for people who've had some sort of a, a cardiac condition. Yeah, um, I think it's the 
I think it's the IACR. I can't remember now, but I'm pretty sure it's something like that. Um, yeah, I don't have it in front of me, but I, I'm pretty sure there's an IACR that published guidelines, I think, for Ireland. They do audits and things like that. Um, but anyway, there's plenty of information available out there. And, you know, like that, maybe you just want to learn more about this topic or you're providing information to a family member or just for yourself. There's so many, you know, published pieces online in terms of guidelines and reviews of cardiac rehab and the different, more information on the different phases and the centers near you, et cetera. So it's all out there. Absolutely. So finally, before we finish up, Richie, we're talking about resistance training. What, what are your training goals? What do, what do you do in the gym? Are you like a powerlifter bodybuilder dude or what's your story? That lad, you just need to look at me to tell you that that's not the case. I think um, the delts are looking good in that my protein t-shirt. I, that's that's why I wore this t-shirt. Yeah. It's a very flattering t-shirt. Um, no, um, I at the moment, lad, it actually feels like I am just exercising to not die. That's um, fine too. <laughs> uh, because no, so like the last few months have been fairly stressful, and I've actually noticed that the last few weeks in the gym, I have been uh, falling apart. I'm like riddled with exercises uh, sorry with um with injuries i should say i'm riddled with injuries i've got a, a shoulder issue now i've got some issues with my knees um and i just think i really need to bring a deload on just to, to take a break but like in terms of go- goals at the moment i'm i'm exercising to stay as healthy as i possibly can um like obviously uh, i'm exercising to maintain as much muscle as i can going into you know um you know as i get older uh you know i don't think i'm going to be building a huge amount more from now on but um, I'm going to be maintaining as much as I can to stay functional. Um, and one thing I want to do is I want to get more into a, a aerobic exercise because it's something I don't do a lot and that's just out of time and habit. And, uh, yeah, I need to do it a little bit more because again, heart health prevention, all that. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose that just solidifies what we discussed earlier. It's not either, or, you know, it's not about being the resistance training person that's anti-cardio it's not about being the cardio person that's anti-lifting it's it's both and both seem to have independent and synergistic benefits yeah. when it comes to cardiovascular health so um yeah get on it and uh, yeah it's always nice to see people who walk the walk in terms of their research you know so obviously you apply that in your own life as well um one final point just not to prolong it too much but just because it was mentioned um what what is a Mediterranean diet? People might be wondering, what's that? Um, yeah, good, good question. Uh, so what we use is it's a Mediterranean style. Diet. Mediterranean diet is classically the, the diet of the Mediterranean re- region, which is high. If you, if you look at the main component of it, it's going to be higher in um, fruit and vegetables, uh, higher in olive oil, very, very specifically, um, extra virgin olive oil. Um, and then it will usually be relatively high in, uh, legumes, uh, so beans, peas, lentils, uh, whole grains, um, seafood, uh, with uh, comparatively lower amounts of red meat compared to you know uh, Western Europe or Northern Europe, um, and uh, what else is there? A, a very very moderate consumption of red wine. Again, depending on the region, there's no one single Mediterranean diet. Um, and to be honest, I don't like the term Mediterranean diet because it makes people think on something very very specific. Um, I think Mediterranean style diet helps us encompass a lot more about what it is because you can have, and you will see research on um, an Indian style, uh, no, an Indian Mediterranean style diet, 
Um, so they've done this research in India and they've just modified the, the diet to be more uh, similar to how people eat over there. I've seen Korean Mediterranean style diets. Um, and it's all just like focusing on the individual components as of, as opposed to focusing, focusing on oh, what's a Mediterranean diet is a pizza and, you know, pasta or whatever. And like our research is a, a, a Northwest Mediterranean style diet. So like we have like one of the big dishes here in Liverpool is a thing called scouse, which is basically like kind of like Irish stew. Um, and we just, we've given people recipes. I I've modified it. So I made it higher in uh, monounsaturated fats, lower in saturated fats. I've added some legumes to it, more fiber, more vegetables. So you can, you can modify things to be more Mediterranean style. Um, yeah. That's cool. So it's some sort of diet. It's a, it's a dietary pattern fundamentally that exactly. ex- exhibits certain features and that's generally good for cardiometabolic health, I assume. Exactly. Assume that's the result of your research. Well, uh, that, 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 that's what we're hoping. You know, uh, let me uh, analyze the results in a few months time. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I just said I touched on it because it was mentioned as part of the intervention. So um, I, you're, you're saying that uh, it, it, car, carnivore type of diet wouldn't be optimal, would it? Or you'd be... Big- um, potentially not, considering like one of the, <laughs> the main things we like to, to reduce is um, LDL. And on carnivore diets, people seem to to love increasing their LDL as much as possible because of apparently, um, according to some people, it's beneficial. It's not. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, sarcasm implied. Right. Anyway, that's the end of this episode. Thanks very much for um, listening guys. Richie, do you have places that people can find you online on the socials or maybe your research gate or wherever? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm on, um, uh, I suppose, most active on Instagram uh, and you can find me at Be More Nutrition. And uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, just Richie Kerwin. And I'm on, uh, yeah, ResearchGate as well as Richie Kerwin. Um, it, basically, if you go to my Instagram, I've got, I'll probably have links to all of my other socials there as well. So just check them out. Brilliant. So give Richie a follow. And as always, guys, you know where you can find us at Triage Method on Instagram, find all of our services, etc. there. And uh, we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you very much, Richie.